Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Chris, ASU has finally finalized its coaching staff for the 2017 season, making two additions on Wednesday today. Oh, wait. <laughs> There's another change. Just oh, break. No, so just, someone's I'm, leaving? Just kidding. <laughs> okay. I just figured a job had opened up in the southeast and nope. some Seem- ASU assistant had bolted. Totally I, seems set right now. I guess not. Though it's set for the moment, we'll uh, we'll continue on as planned on this podcast. The Sun Devils announcing the hiring of offensive line coach Rob Sale, who coached at Louisiana Monroe in 2016, and they also announced the hire of defensive line coach Michael Slater, who coached at Kansas in 2016. So right now, the Sun Devils coaching staff is set, Chris, with the hires of Sale and Slater. Not a lot of... Uh, Power Five experience, right? Sale was at Georgia for one year. Uh, the staff got fired there immediately thereafter. Uh, when he when he took that job, the hot seat was was pretty established uh, with Mark Richt, right? And then um, with uh, Slater, you have a guy who only spent one year at Kansas, uh, bumping up to that level. From is, is should should we really consider Kansas as a Power Five school? They are really. I don't know how many Power Five schools there are. I think there might be sixty five. They are the sixty fifth. Definitely, and there's <laughs> there's a lot of better programs than that out there. But um, but yeah, so uh, he was at Rice prior to that from 2009-2015, the first three of those seasons as a graduate assistant. I'm not surprised to find out that this is a coach with extensive high school ties uh, in uh, in Texas, right? As for Todd Graham, if you're a high school coach in Texas, the breeding grounds are Get ra- on Todd Graham's radar ASAP. Yes, you got a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, it's been a, a crazy game of musical chairs, right, with the coaching mm-hmm. staff. Of course, Josh Henson was hired by ASU. Great he le- Sun Devil Josh Henson. Absolutely. <laughs> People will remember him forever. Uh, he, that's one of the shortest tenures of all time. It... it, it um, uh, I was going to make a political joke. You got Michael Flynn and Josh Henson. I don't know who who, who lasted longer, but neither one of them will be uh, remembered positively, uh, probably. Um, you have, um, I guess, a coaching staff that's now set, even though we still don't know exactly all of the defined roles. Right, Kerry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and looking at Rob Sale right now, the offensive line coach, he replaces Josh Henson, who, of course, replaced Chris Thompson, ASU's offensive line coach from 2013 through 2016. Thompson departed in January to become the offensive, uh, to be taken offensive coaching position at Texas Christian. Sale spent 2012 through 2014 at McNeese State, uh, the FCS level, before bumping up and coaching at Georgia, coaching all-league prospect in 2015, and then after Mark Ricks firing, returned home to Monroe, Louisiana. That's where he's from, and it just so happened his coach at McNeese State had become the head coach at Louisiana Monroe, so that worked out well for him, but after just one season, he jumped ship to come out, and this is his first job west of Louisiana. I mean, we talk a lot about west of Texas as being a new frontier for ASU coaches. Sale hasn't even coached in Texas yet, so he's another Graham higher that is east of Texas. Same with Billy Napier. Exactly. Same with uh, John Simon. Billy Napier had that one season at Colorado State that sets him apart. Correct. That, that makes him uh, a true West Coast guy compared to well, most of the guys on the staff. It counts, but it, you know, it's not <laughs> not much experience in the West. But yeah, John Simon has did he coach 
anywhere west of of Southern Miss. I, I don't from know Louisiana, my Louisiana coached at Southern Miss geography, but yeah, Rob Likens did spend some. He was at Cal mm-hmm. three so seasons at Cal. He's got a lot of experience. He's got the most experience by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but um, so what they did was Rob Likens got uh, the co coordinator title that had previously been. Uh, tethered to Josh Henson, but that's not a play calling, game planning. It's more of a uh, title. Uh, you have Billy Napier is going to really manage and oversee the offense. Uh, we still don't know who exactly the tight ends coach is going to be. We've talked um, to our subscriber audience um, for quite a while now about the possibility of special teams and outside linebackers coach Sean Slocum taking over that role and coaching tight ends with perhaps Keith Patterson coaching all of the linebackers now that he's not coordinating the defense. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the rest of the staff, just on Slater real quick, as you mentioned, he was at Kansas. He was at Rice for four seasons. uh, Also did some uh, graduate assistant work as Rice uh, with with Rice as well and had 12 seasons as a defensive line coach at the Texas high school level in the Houston area. So he comes to ASU to coach defensive line to replace Joe Sayumalo, who we've also been talking about with our subscribers, Chris, in recent weeks about Sayumalo. He was pulled off the road as a recruiter after the 2016 season, right before the dead period ended. He was anticipating going back on the road, did not end up going back out for ASU. So that kind of signified that his time was coming to an end with the Sun Devils. Now this hire with Slater, the writing is on the wall. Yeah, that relationship didn't end well between ASU and Sayumalo after really probably only about um, eight months or so of those uh, guys working together. Uh, we knew that there was going to be a defensive line coach change. Slater's an older guy for the amount of experience that he has. Um, first year was at, as a full-time assistant was 2012 at Rice. And so that's, you know, five years ago. And uh, he graduated from Texas State in 1993. So he, he's a guy who's in his upper 40s probably now at this stage. And as you said, um, carried a very extensive high school coaching background in Texas. So um, that's probably, of course, going to be where his all of his recruiting experience is. And, and so we've been doing a lot of reporting recently about uh, ASU's drop-off in the amount of talent that they've signed from California and so that's a whole nother component to this that we're going to really uh, flesh out a lot more on the premium podcast to follow. Yeah, so let's run through the rest of this ASU staff right now. You've got John Simon, who we mentioned is the running backs coach. He's returning. He's got the assistant head coaching title. You've got Rob Likens coaching wide receivers. He replaces Jay Norvell. He's a co-offensive coordinator. Billy Napier, of course, replaces Chip Lindsey, the Sun Devils' third offensive coordinator in three seasons. He'll have his first play-calling duties since 2010 when he was the Clemson offensive coordinator. Uh, That rounds out the offensive side of the ball, unless Sean Slocum, of course, who coaches special teams at ASU, winds up coaching tight ends. In the past, he's coached outside linebackers, devil backers, really, for ASU. On the defensive side of the ball, Graham hires Phil Bennett to coordinate the defense. Bennett won't coach a position specifically because you've got Keith Patterson coaching linebackers and TJ rushing coaching in the secondary. But Graham indicated today, Wednesday on mini ASU media day ahead of spring football, that Bennett was hired also not only to run ASU's defense, but because he has extensive experience coaching players in the secondary. Definitely. I, 
I fully expect that we will see Bennett be uh, quite involved, um, even if it's just uh, directing, rushing, and and making sure that 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 those positions are being coached up to their liking. Jared Hawley is a safety who played for Graham at Pitt and has been a GA at ASU the last couple seasons, and uh, so we'll see if that if that role continues because Hawley's been very involved. in a hands-on capacity in, in practices. But I, I, I would say, uh, given that um, Graham and Napier have kind of talked about uh, the tight end position or the way that they've recruited the tight end position since Napier's arrived at ASU, that, that we will see somebody coach tight ends. I don't think that they're just going to fold that in with the receivers because it's not a glossed over sort of a role in this offense moving forward. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, if we do see Patterson coach all the linebackers. Of course, you're going to have Slater coaching your defensive line, rushing, coaching your secondary. Bennett's going to be involved at some level there. Um, but probably four of your nine assistants on the defensive side of the ball and then five on offense uh, is what you're going to end up having. And, um, and again, just to reiterate, only Keith Patterson – uh, was an assistant coach at ASU from ASU's 2015 team. All other eight coaches are have have uh, turned over plus um, <laughs> some immense turnover it, since 2016. Yeah, so, exactly. So there, there's a lot going on there, uh, and we got today, Kerry. We got just a little bit of a glimpse into what that's going to look like in the spring and beyond because ASU had a, a mini media day. Uh, in which Napier and Bennett spoke, Rob Likens was there, and then a handful of ASU's newest players, including Blake Barnett, Doug Suttle, Eno Benjamin, and then um, guys that were on the in the program last year in practice but weren't able to participate, wide receivers Ryan Newsom and John Humphrey. Yeah, we learned a lot of interesting things at Media Day, especially from the assistant coaches, Billy Napier and Phil Bennett. And Phil Bennett talked about wanting to run a 4-2-5 system and getting more athletic in the back end. So I, I think that what we could see out of these coaches is in the past, Graham has always talked about cross-training the spur linebacker, is what he's called it, uh, with the defensive backs. Bennett said today he wants five true defensive backs. He wants to get more athletic and faster at the spur position. So we could see the spurs actually truly practicing uh, in the secondary moving forward. We could see the devil backers with their hand in the dirt because Bennett has said he likes to have four down line at the line of scrimmage and also a a situation where he could have a guy put his hand in the dirt and drop back much like Carl Bradford did as the devil backer earlier on uh, in Graham's tenure. So we could see a situation where the devil backers are training up front with the defensive line or they're training with Keith Patterson at the linebacker level. But I I would anticipate moving forward with Bennett on the staff, with TJ Rushing on the staff, with Jared Hawley as a grad assistant, and with Graham's experience coaching secondary players. That's the position he's coached the most of. So I would anticipate those coaches taking over a position group that includes five positions. Well, it's going to be a defense that has an open edge on 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 one side. You're going to have whether you call it a devil backer or what what Bennett seems to be calling it, a uh, buck linebacker. Um, you know, other programs call it an elephant or whatever you, you call it, but that that uh, boundary side edge person, whether that's operating from a three-point stance 
in a four-two-five, or whether that's somebody operating as a stand-up linebacker in a three-three-five. A lot of that comes down to technique preferences and personal style. But um, what Bennett basically said is we're going to be able to play four down or have some three down at Baylor. They played some three down. Uh, but but what I really took away from watching Baylor the last couple of years and what Bennett said today that struck me was we were very light with our personnel because we had to be just that's that's just what our personnel dictated and uh, and and so the the spur was really more of a of a nickel corner type of a player as opposed to a hybrid safety linebacker which they had used in that capacity in the past and um, I think Bennett. You know, he mentioned Marcus Ball as a Spur candidate. Marcus Ball is somebody that we saw, of course, play Spur before moving back to the bandit position where he uh, performed better in the second half of last season. Uh, And Marcus Ball, to me, even at one point was listed as a linebacker by ASU's official roster. It still may be, actually. But, but, it just kind of reflects the different possibilities that you can that you can go with there, but but what I what I really took away from Bennett and and especially Graham talking about Bennett was uh, Graham's known him for 25 years. In fact, he learned um, from him earlier on in his career. They have similar ideology defensively, and um, their approach is going to be kind of the same. And Graham said that he really is turning over the, the defense to Bennett uh, and and a part of that process is bringing him up to speed is actually going back and watching all the ASU's games uh, from 2012 through now and getting a sense of what worked what didn't work their personnel opponents tendencies types of course there's been coaching changes and things along along the road but just trying to get as much information inside of Phil Bennett as possible so that then as he evaluates his, his um, personnel in the, um, in the next few weeks and then when he starts working with them in the spring that allows them to figure out how they can put their best 11 players on the field together. And today we learned that we won't be that far from uh, getting to see this ASU defense on the field for the first time this spring, Chris. ASU tentatively planning to open spring practices now ahead of spring break with one practice taking place on March 3rd, and then the Sun Devils will take their spring break, and then after that they'll come back 10 days later on March 13th for the second spring practice. After that they'll have 13 additional practices uh, subsequent to that, and that's through mid-April. Yeah, I think you know that this is um, not something I've seen before. The starting practice and then having a ten-day break. In the past, they actually have uh, gone before and after spring football, but never just where, where you have one practice. Um, if, uh, you have the NCAA mandated two helmets only practices, so maybe they wanted to get a look at the guys and then evaluate them on film before they figured out where they wanted to go. Uh, after spring in, in consideration of how many new coaches that you have there. But uh, we'll definitely be out there at all the practices and observing as much as we are allowed to by the um, the rules as set forth by football and media relations. Uh, last year was the first year that we're more restricted in terms of what we could and couldn't observe. Uh, previously, uh, it was basically f- completely open. So, um I'm not sure what the policy will be. My 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 guess is that it's probably going to be similar to last year, and um, it, it's a lot for these coaches to basically wrap their arms around, and and that's part of what makes so many moving parts and kind of so interesting to follow. 
right now between basically the end of National Signing Day and the start of spring football, coaches are in a phase where they're discussing what they're going to be installing with players uh, when they begin to meet ahead of spring football. You heard today, and you talked about it already, Phil Bennett and Todd Graham going back and watching all of the Sun Devils games from 2012 on to see what ASU was doing defensively, what the Sun Devils personnel is capable of moving forward. Billy Napier evaluating the Sun Devils personnel as well, looking at the 11 personnel scheme that Todd Graham really has set forth that all of his offensive coordinators will run. He wants to make sure that Napier is on board with that. Even though today we heard from a number of ASU players that they think that this scheme could be moving more toward pro style, uh, a pro style offense and really hone in on the running game that Todd Graham has talked about since his arrival at ASU. Yeah, Graham kind of has candidly spoken with us, including reiterating today that he thought in the last two years, uh, 2015 under Mike Norvell and then a little bit last year, that they went away from that a little bit at times, from that uh, comfort that he has, that run first ideology and and of course probably your coordinators would say that that is directly related to your capability to run the football and in in certain games and and everything but uh, Graham Graham said that uh, that there's going to be more of a emphasis on the tight end which uh, last year there really wasn't a lot of it and and definitely more adherence to being run first they have a maturing offensive line struggled last year at times but I think the the long term prognosis is good. That's something that the the coaching staff reiterated today. Napier said that he a good first impression from that group, and uh, and um, so I think that's what Graham wanted to hear. He's very big about about um, having certain ideology that he wants to adhere to. Uh, he referenced not changing the the terminology too much last year on offense, which ended up. Uh, being a good thing because then, of course, you had Chip Lindsey after just one season leave to become uh, the offensive coordinator in the SEC. So, um, so yeah, I, I, um, I'm interested in seeing what's going to happen with that. The quarterbacks are very interested. Brady White said today that that he believes that they'll probably go more in a little bit of a pro-style direction. At Alabama, you had Blake Barnett and Jalen Hurts as your quarterbacks. Barnett's more of a pro style type of a guy. Jalen Hurts is more of a spread. They adjusted their offense um, in in transitioning early in the season from Barnett to Hurts to be more of a spread. Um, Graham said that that involved Napier to some degree because he had some spread background. And uh, whereas Lane Kiffin, now the, the head coach of Florida a And M, the Florida Atlantic. Atlantic. Pardon me. No worries. <laughs> the Rattlers and the Owls are easily confused. Is that is that real? Yeah. <laughs> um, something's wrong with you. But yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he's basically a pro style coach, right? So they they made some adjustments there that Napier was involved in when when. When Napier was at Clemson, 2009, 2010, and Dabo Sweeney and he were sort of trying to figure out their offense. Sweeney had been the offensive coordinator prior to that, and then became the interim head coach. Um, they really tinkered and made some some pretty significant adjustments as they were going through the, the that first season into the second season that were between being heavier personnel 
or being more spread oriented and um and so i i think there there's uh, clear evidence that napier has the ability to sort of tailor to personnel and quarterback and figuring out who the quarterback's going to be is an important component today he was very uh, uh deferential to the process yeah he has been coached up on the process yeah, that's what happens when you come from a Nick Saban program. But we knew that that would be the case for any ASU offensive coordinator, that they weren't going to tip their hand heading into this spring quarterback competition that will include four quarterbacks this spring, could include as up, up to six quarterbacks in the fall, which is just I mean, I, I talked I'm guessing to, it probably won't. No, but I talked to know. three wide receivers today, and they just couldn't believe how many quarterbacks are on the roster. They probably don't want to have to catch balls from six quarterbacks for, <laughs> for too long, right? Um, but yeah, I, I, I think um, Napier was asked very directly about Blake Barnett, who was 50 feet away in the room, uh, and and given his first ASU interviews and. Napier didn't go there. He just he his answer was really about we have a good group. I think we're going to be able to find somebody who's going to be able to be really successful from this group, and um, and they do have what five, four or five four star quarterbacks mm-hmm. that they're going to be able to have to to work from. The quarterbacks, um, very interestingly, um, had different. Um, articulations of their perspective. On one hand, you had Manny Wilkins who said, uh, I'm the leader of this team. I was the leader of this team. That's I'm not going to be changing in that regard. A very stake your claim, you know, flag in the ground perspective. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you had uh, Bryce Perkins who was coming off of the, uh, a, a serious neck injury with fracture and having to be immobilized for three months saying this is a reset button and it's a fresh opportunity. Uh, Brady White saying, hey, you know, I think this is it's good. Fresh set of eyes, third quarterback coach in three years. Um, and, and by the way, a piece of news, Brady White, uh, who broke his foot against UCLA in his one start, um, at ASU, um, pretty serious injury, had surgery. He, he let us know today that he's been now jogging on the treadmill for two weeks. And uh, the anticipation is as long as he continues to progress without a setback, he'll be fully cleared late spring, early summer, be able to go through all the summer uh, workouts and ready to go then for the start of, of preseason camp. Bryce Perkins is already basically 100% cleared as far as the running and other activities. He's not doing all of the um, exact all the lifting he's doing much of the lifting but not deadlift and a few of the other components but he's for all intent and purposes is basically back as well manny wilkins told us today that he's you know very close to 100 percent. essentially he said i, I don't know if i'll consider myself 100 percent until i'm back out there on the field and it all feels you know like like it like it's all there um but you know he had some pretty serious injuries that he played through and sometimes wasn't able to play through last season. So quarterback position is definitely rounding back into, into health. White won't be out there, but he's hoping to get some mental reps and maybe some light workouts. Uh, and, and we also talked to Blake Barnett today. Yeah. I talked to Barnett and Sterling Cole. And I, I talked to Barnett really. The first question I asked him was how he felt about getting that relief waiver to play game one. 
And he just talked about how big of a deal that was for him and how much that meant to him in terms of the competition because he didn't want to be held back in terms of this competition. And you could get the sense from talking to Barnett that once he got that waiver, he thinks that he is going to win this job. He's coming in here to compete and win the job. That was his intent from day one, and he had he had completely planned to file the waiver. He was looking forward to it, thought he could win it, and when he did – he, he thinks he's going to be a big factor in this quarterback competition, so that was his mentality. And then I talked to Dylan Sterling Cole about what it was like to play as a freshman and come off the scout team after four weeks and essentially be thrown into the starting lineup and have to play. And he, he said it was just a whirlwind for him. It was shocking. It wasn't the speed of the game that got to him. He said that that was fine. He felt completely fine throwing the ball. It was the playbook that took a lot of adjusting to. It was a completely different playbook from his high school level, but he said that the Oregon start that he made was a turning point for him, and that's when he finally began to feel comfortable in Chip Lindsey's offense last year, and he thinks he's going to be able to handle Billy Napier's offense. And he, What he essentially said was, even though he was the third guy last year to come into the lineup, probably the fourth guy that ASU would plan on using if Bryce Perkins wasn't hurt, he thinks that he's going to factor into this quarterback comp- competition, and he said, don't count me out. Yeah, I think, Kerry, I think you have a chance. Uh, you know, I mean, I probably has, have as good of a chance as Jack Smith right I mean, now. The, the Sea Turtles were a very dominant flag football team, so I'm not. Yeah. I'm definitely not going to count anything out at this point. Yeah. But, uh, I, but, but more seriously, I, it's not like in the spring we're going to know who the quarterback no. is in any way, shape, or form. I think if you're the coaching staff, you'd like to have an idea of your top two to three uh, by the end of the spring. Because you're not going to be I mean, able what, to rep. What staff in the country <laughs> wants to know it's top three by the end of the spring? Well, that's how crazy this situation it is. It is crazy, but the thing is, is that you're not going to you're not going to rep four plus guys exactly. after the first week of preseason camp. Hopefully, not the first week. If you're the coaching staff, that's not your what you want to see happen. So they would like to have this whittled to uh, two or three guys. Mm-hmm and have an idea of that going in, going into August. And I think it's pretty safe to assume that Blake Barnett is going to be one of those guys, whether he was hurt or helped is debatable by the departure of Chip Lindsay, but the arrival of Napier, I think maybe that's a wash kind of, but um, I think he's one of the guys. Manny Wilkins is one of the guys. Yeah. Those two are the obvious. Yeah. And then, and then who's the third um, I think you know Brady Weiss at a disadvantage because no spring ball. Uh, Dylan Sterling Cole and Bryce Perkins, okay, somewhere in there. I think you may have an, an established pecking order that kind of comes out of this and that takes you in, in, into preseason. But listen, we're going to be monitoring this. It's gonna, we're going to be talking about this for months. Um, so just kind of you know hang tight and, and uh, we'll give you everything that we can on it. Not that this will mean anything in terms of the Sun Devils season opener on August 31st, but it's got to be Manny Wilkins taking the first snap of the spring, yeah. right? Yes. If that doesn't happen... I'd be shocked. I, I would be very surprised. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Todd Graham, I don't think would... would, would no. I don't think he would not allow that. I don't no. think he would allow that. To so that's where we anticipate things to start. Where it develops from there is what will be so fascinating to follow. Kerry Crowley in the next few months. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so. Uh, it's an but, operational. It's an operational guy. That's all yeah, that they need. Yeah. Just I'm, manage a, I'm a system manager. That's it. You can read the defense. Uh, the final note to touch on for the football program before we move on to basketball, Chris, is the departure of wide receiver Ellis Jefferson. He's announced that he'll be a grad transfer. News broke of that. 
that on Tuesday. Jefferson lost out essentially on his starting spots in Nikhil Harry. Uh, had a really strong spring last year in the 2016 spring, but about three days into fall camp, it was obvious Nikhil Harry was a different specimen. was going to pass him on the depth chart. And so Jefferson, uh, after catching only two passes for 21 yards in his junior season, uh, is going to be a grad transfer. No surprise, really. You have uh, uh, – he was – great friends with the people that were a year older than him mm-hmm. that all departed. Um, and as you said there, he was passed by Nikhil Harry. Other people are going to push him. Uh, hasn't, hasn't played a lot. And uh, just like we saw with Raymond Epps who transferred to SMU, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Alice Jefferson move back in that direction. He's from Texas originally mm-hmm. conference USA Maybe the Memphis, a- yeah. Maybe the the AAC, maybe um, Sun Belt, so, something like that, where he's going to probably, I, I would guess, not the the Power Five level, somewhere that is a step below that, but where he'll get an opportunity. And and by the way, um, I don't think that talent, natural talent, was really what held Alice Jefferson back, as more as it was a competitive disposition and a sheer determination to. Uh, force his way onto the football field. Yeah, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if he ended up at an AAC program because he's got the talent to to play there. And I think he's a fit for a guy like Mike Norvell, who initially yeah. was part of his recruitment to ASU. Yeah. So that would not surprise me at all. Of course, Jefferson probably won't announce his uh, intended destination for a little bit. He has to graduate this spring and then pick a school with a graduate program that ASU does not have. And that's really where ASU uh, – has set itself apart as a football program to attract grad transfers because every major in the book, <laughs> you open can, the book, you can basically major in anything. I'm sure. They don't have that university. book anymore, but they used to have it. And it was like it's online now. I was like 800. I'm like, what? like, yeah. like it was, they were, they were, it was ASU and Ikea were battling neck and neck <laughs> for, for the, the most tree devastation and reforestation. Um, wow. But no, it, it, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely um, think that ASU has the opportunity to take advantage of that. They've done so. They're probably going to continue to do so. I think they're going to add no, uh, probably a couple more D1 transfers uh, here in the next couple of months. We're going to keep an eye on that as well. All right, let's move on to the basketball program, Chris. The Sun Devils suffered a loss against Cal early last week and looked like they were going to be swept by the Bay Area schools at least until the final minute of their contest against Stanford over the weekend. They end up coming up with a 12-2 run to end the game against the Cardinal. They sweep the season series against Stanford, and it was Torian Graham hitting a hand-in-the-face shot to beat the Cardinal. Those are the only shots that he takes, (laughs) first of all. Um uh, that game was one of the weirdest games that I can remember covering uh, of ASU. And you had ASU uh, was was uh, dramatically out-rebounded. 20 rebound differential, despite there not being much of a field goal percentage differential in the game. Uh, Stanford had 22 offensive rebounds, which was just a couple shy of ASU's total rebounding margin in the game. Stanford had a 37 to 14 edge in points in the paint. Um, it's probably unprecedented that you have that disparity uh, and, and ASU be able to win. Uh, what enabled ASU winning was ASU forced the most turnovers against the Pac-12 opponent they've played in, in recent years uh, with 22 turnovers, I believe, off the top of my head. 
uh, and and um, they had a, a good string of defense in the second half, coupled with Stanford getting ice cold from the perimeter. Stanford doesn't have the athletes to be able to create shots uh, for itself on the perimeter, and and that that was limiting. So even though they were getting second chance opportunities and and um, and offensive rebounds were just being eaten up uh, by their two bigs. Um, it, it just it wasn't enough. ASU was very dogged through that game to be able to to compete and overcome some of those things. Uh, Hurley went with a bigger lineup at times, featuring two of Obi Aleka and Ramon Villa and um, Jethro Chishampa even saying afterwards it's not something he really wants to do much of but they he, he had to try something and, and um, whereas I was very um, uh, perplexed and thought it was a little bit alarming in fact that against Cal they did such a poor job against the Cal zone that was really um, expanded out onto the perimeter and wasn't uh, allowing ASU to get the the high percentage three point shots and ASU didn't really have much of a response as how to attack that that they executed. Um, uh, uh, ASU fans had to be heartened heartened by what Hurley was able to accomplish down the stretch in coaching against Stanford. Just a few days later, uh, Torian Graham, a guy who had, was like 0 of nine from three against Cal. Uh, came back he expressed to Hurley in the second half that he was feeling it and then Hurley got Graham the ball on actions in three separate possessions in the second half where he could basically shoot it coming off a curl action um, and stagger screen or uh, he could uh, get drive to the basket and uh, he hit two big threes there at the end and um, and ASU was able to uh, have a 12 to 2 run or something to close the game out and um, so now uh, they're seventh place, tied for seventh in the Pac-12. Um, there is a, a top six that's very clearly delineated from the bottom six. Um, there's probably going to be five teams, maybe outside chance of six teams that make the NCAA tournament. Um, there's a general rule of thumb, even though it's not necessarily strictly speaking a rule anymore, that you have to be 500 to make the NIT tournament. ASU is uh, currently 12 and 14. They'd have to win like four of their last six games if they get knocked out in the second round of the tournament or five out of seven or eight, something like that, uh, in order to be able to, to achieve that mark. That's going to be really hard. They play at Washington, Washington State, then home, UCLA, USC, Arizona, and the regular season. Got to get at least three of those games. Markel Fultz for Washington. Um, possibly the top one NBA draft pick uh, later this year may not play. He, he's day to day. So they need one. Two would be put them in a, a, a position to have some sort of a chance. Um, but, but we'll see. I mean, their, their, their strength of schedule is obviously great, but it also could hurt them because they end up a couple wins shy of what would have given them an opportunity to be in the NIT otherwise. So, um, uh, a lot, a lot going on there, but they're probably going to outperform the preseason expectations, and including what I had. I thought ASU would be about the tenth team. Thought they'd win about five or six Pac-12 games. I think now they got a really good chance to at least be um, a seven and eleven type of a team. 
Yeah, the Sun Devils at Washington on Thursday. They'll play Washington State later on in the weekend. Close out the season with USC, UCLA, and Arizona at home at Wells Fargo Arena. We've talked all season long on this podcast about ASU needing to finish 7th or 8th in the conference, get that day one bye in the Pac-12 so that they don't have to play on day one when the 9 plays the 12, when the 10 plays the 11. If they're able to do so, it could be a huge benefit for the Sun Devils uh, in terms of that outside chance at that NIT berth. But that's where things stand right now, Chris, in terms of the basketball program. And, of course, we covered the football program wall-to-wall at the beginning of this podcast. So that will do it for us in the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Thanks so much for tuning in.